The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. We're continuing our mini-series this summer called Stewarding Life. Life is God's gift to us, and what we do with it is our gift to Him. Stewarding Life, that's the current series that we find ourselves in. On your way in, you should have received a service program. Go ahead and take that out. Inside, there's an outline that you can use to follow along through the Bible study this morning. As you pull out your outline, please stand with me, if you would, as we read Proverbs chapter number 30. This morning for our scripture reading, we're going to read verses 8 and verses number 9 of Proverbs chapter 30. The Bible says in Proverbs 30, verse 8, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. This morning, pastors are going to bring a message simply entitled, Stewarding Finances. As many of you would probably know, uh, the book of Proverbs was written by a man by the name of Solomon. And uh, imagine yourself in this position. The God, the creator of the universe, comes to you and says, I will grant you any wish that you want. Now, it almost seems like a story out of Aladdin. And you can only imagine, if it were you, what you would choose. If you had the opportunity to pick anything from God, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all that there is, and he gave you the opportunity, really, to have one thing, what, what would it be? What would you choose? I'm sure for some of us here, we might choose incredible riches. I just want enough money to be able to pay all my bills. Uh, I want enough money to take care of my family. I want enough money to be able to save some and have a, a little bit left over when it's all said and done. And we might have asked for just incredible riches. But, but that is not what the Bible declares that Solomon asked for. Uh, you might think that uh, there might be some in here and you might say just... Uh, just just unbelievable power. And there might be some people who would say, if I, had, if I could choose anything, if I could make a choice, I would choose power, to be able to have power over things and to be able to have power over political you know, agendas and to be able to have power you know, when it comes to leading and influencing other people. And we might have chosen power, and yet that is not uh, what Solomon chooses. Uh, maybe if you were like other people in the world, you might choose popularity or celebrity status. You know, just I want to be famous. I, I want everywhere I go people to know my name, to respect me, to admire me, to want to be around me. And you could imagine that if you were given the opportunity to have anything you wanted, it might be that you would choose popularity. You would choose social status, a celebrity type of, uh, you know, life. And, and yet that's not what Solomon chooses. And it, it's very interesting when you find out that what Solomon chose above money, what he chose above power, what he chose above celebrity status was something called wisdom. You think of all the things he could have chose, how come he chose wisdom? And, and what is wisdom? Uh, wisdom is the practical ability to use knowledge. Have you ever met somebody before who was really smart, but they just didn't seem to know how to functionally and practically use any of the knowledge that they had? It was like, there was like their brain was like a data bank, but when it came right down to you know, the everyday aspects of life, they had no, maybe what we would refer to as common sense. They just didn't know how to use all the knowledge that they had. And so wisdom is different than knowledge. Knowledge is details and information and facts. Wisdom is the uncanny ability to be able to leverage that knowledge, to leverage information, to leverage details and facts for functional, practical living. And that is what Solomon asks for. He asks for wisdom. Well, later on in his life, Solomon wrote down much of the wisdom that he had gained, and he was going to pass it along to his son. And so these letters are literally recorded for us in the scriptures, and they are referred to as the Proverbs. And they're just maxims of sorts, practical wisdom for everyday living. And, and it speaks to everything from relationships 
to money, to work, to getting along in your marriage, and it's just a lot of practical wisdom for everyday living in life. And, and in, in our series, Stewarding Life, I, I wanted to take the opportunity uh, to speak on this subject of just stewarding or managing our finances from the book of Proverbs. Now, history tells us that King Solomon was probably the richest man who ever lived. Because he had such wisdom, because he was, his ability to use the knowledge that he had about finances, he was able to become very wealthy, just even in the world standards to this day. Many historians would say King Solomon, the richest individual to ever live in all of history. But it wasn't because he wanted finances. He, he looked for wisdom and He got finances thrown in, and so I thought it would be only appropriate to go to the book of Proverbs and look at what the Holy Spirit of God would have for us through King Solomon and his wisdom on how to manage or how to steward finances. As was said earlier here, what God gives us is his gift to us. What we do with it is our gift to him. Now, I want to clarify really quick before we get into this. What I'm going to teach on today, these are not commandments to being a Christian, okay? I don't want you to confuse that what we're going to talk about today, this is what makes you a Christian. This is what makes you a believer, all right? These are not commands like in the sense of, you got to do these or else you're, no, you're not saved, all right? These are, these are general pieces of wisdom that for the most part, in most circumstances, generally are true, for people living in the world in which we live, all right? And so it's in the spirit of wisdom. It is in the spirit of just pragmatic advice that Solomon gives us here some financial, practical wisdom on how to manage our finances. And so today we're going we're gonna to look at what, is, what, what does it practically look like? I mean, I mean, like on Monday when the bills come in and Friday when you get your paycheck, what does it practically look like to steward our finances wisely according to the Bible, all right? What does that look like? This morning, we're going to look at four wisdom principles from the book of Proverbs about stewarding our finances biblically and wisely. And I honestly believe that for the majority of people who put these things into practice, they will see a blessing in their life as they align their lives with God's biblical wisdom, all right? And so that's what we're going to look at today. So we're going to dive right into it, and uh, we're going to begin in Proverbs chapter number 22. And Proverbs chapter number 22, verse 7 says this, The rich ruleth over the poor. And I want you to notice this next statement here. And the borrower... Those who borrow money, those who borrow finances, those who use credit, those who get into that debt, they become a servant to the lender. Uh, You don't have to raise your hand. I don't want to put anybody on the spot. But is there anybody here who has ever felt like you are a slave to MasterCard? (laughs) Or American Express? (laughs) Or to Visa? (laughs) You felt like, I feel like I'm their, sir. I feel like they've got me in shackles. I feel like I'm a, I'm a slave to them. And every month they send me the bill and I feel like I'm a servant. I, I feel like I'm a slave uh, to these lenders. And that's what Solomon taught here. And that's what God's wisdom would tell us. And it would help us to understand that, yes, the rich ruleth over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender, which leads us to our first wisdom principle when it comes to finances this morning. And that is simply this. I want to encourage you in the spirit of wisdom to align yourself with biblical principles. And by God's grace, I want to encourage you to reduce your debt. Reduce your debt. Debt. Why? Because the servant is, uh, borrower is servant to the lender. Let me give you some statistics about debt in America today. About 43% of American families, this is almost half of American families, spend more money than they make each year. This is pretty crazy. That means, if statistics hold true, about half of us in this room spend more money than we make. And, and that's, what, uh, that's what the statistics would tell us. Um, uh, statistics would al- also tell us that about 40%, a little bit less, 
live what is called paycheck to paycheck. And there might be many of us in this room, and like two days before your paycheck comes in, I mean, you're just biting your fingernails because you're thinking to yourself, how in the world are we, I mean, we don't have money for gas, we don't have money for milk, like we literally, we don't got two days of margin in our financial portfolio, it's just like not there. 40% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. The average household carries $8,000 in credit card debt. So that's average. Now, there are individuals, there might be folks in this room, and you carry more than that on your credit card. And this is not something you're planning on paying off in two weeks that you purchased last week. I mean, this is just ongoing, rolling over, paying 22% interest every single month on it, $8,000. The average, if we were to average out the debt in this room, our average debt is going to average about $8,000. Now, some of us are going to have much more than that on our credit cards, and others of us will have much less. But average, that's what statistics tell us, that we average about $8,000 in credit card debt here. Bankruptcies, how many of you have heard of bankruptcy before? And I understand there are situations and there are seasons where uh, this is just something where, you know, some people feel like I have no other option. And I don't say this to condemn, I'm just giving some facts. Bankruptcies have doubled in the last 10 years. You say, why do you share all this? I share that because we live in a culture, we live in a society that has changed its perspective on debt. And yet as you go to the scriptures and you glean wisdom principles to align with what God's best is for your family and to align with what God's best is for your marriage and to align with what is God's best for your individual life, there needs to be a process by which you are reducing the debt in your life. Why? The Bible tells us in the New, on the New Testament uh, that we're to be in bondage to no one. And so here all of a sudden, if we're in a position and we're a, we are literally like a servant to the lender, we put ourselves in a very precarious position. Let me give you a quote. I think it might be there in your service program. Bad debt. I don't want to focus on bad debt. I, I realize some of us, you know, there's, there's, we could make an argument that there is a good debt. You know, some people would argue that your, the debt you have, your mortgage might be good debt if you're, if you got that wisely and the market's moving forward. Some people might call that some good debt, but let's just talk about bad debt, okay? I mean, just the debt where you went out to dinner and uh, you spent $100 on dinner, you put it on the credit card with no real idea how you were going to pay it, and all of a sudden, over the next year and a half, you ended up spending $140 on that dinner because of all the interest that accrued. I, I might consider that bad debt in, from, from my perspective, and, and I think that's kind of what, what's being pushed here, bad debt. No, Bad debt, here's what it does, sacrifices your future needs for your present wants. Bad debt, it sacrifices future needs, future food you're going to have to put on your table for your kids, uh, you know, these different things. It, it sacrifices your future needs for your present wants. So let me give you some practical thoughts on this from the Bible real quick. I want to encourage you, number one, when it comes to debt, Give God a chance to give it to you before you go out and charge it. Give God an opportunity to give it to you before you go out and charge it. If you want a little phrase to write down there, I would say it this way. Before you pay for it, pray for it. Before you pay for it, pray for it. Let me tell you a little story. And I, I don't want to brag, and maybe I shouldn't even share some of this. I, I, I hope not. I hope this isn't in the wrong spirit. I hope you'll take it in the spirit, which it is. Oh, um, this, this year we had an opportunity of going on vacation and uh, I, I told my wife, I said, man, I'd really, I'd really like to have, you know, just some finances to be able to spend and make some memories with the kids and, and those types of things and have some margin and uh, those types of things. And so literally for about, I don't know, maybe eight weeks before our vacation, I literally started praying every day for spending money for vacation. You say, that's not very spiritual, pastor. You're supposed to pray for like, you know, you know, starving kids in Africa and peace in Jerusalem and all that kind of stuff, and I do. <laughs> but I also want to just have fun with my kids on vacation too, <laughs> make some memories with them. I have a credit card. I guess I could have used that, and I just, I really started praying for it. And, I, and maybe I'm being selfish, but it was, it was a pretty significant amount of money to me, all right? It was, it was, I mean, it wasn't like I was praying for, you know, $75 or something. It was a pretty hefty sum of money. And uh, more than $1,000. And I thought, yeah, man, what type of fun are you planning on having on vacation? I just want to have a good time with my family. 
And so we begin to pray, and I literally, I'd get up in the mornings, and I'd pray for you guys, and I'd pray for our church, and I'd pray for all the things that I should pray for, and I also just prayed that God would give me money. So I could go and take my kids and have fun. You say, well, why did you do that? Don't you have an American Express? Yes. (laughs) But I wanted to give God a chance to do it, to really reveal to me if that was truly his will. You know, this was a good way to, if God didn't want me to go to the museums with my kids or to, you know, have fun at this place or that place, this would have been an easy way for God to say, no, it's not really my plan for your life. About a week before, I had... I got a, we went to the mailbox, I walked over there, and Jenny was with me, we walked in the evening, walked over, and uh, op- opened, up our, opened up our mailbox, and there was a check from uh, the loan officers where we get our house from for $1,800. And it basically was a little letter, hey, because of the taxes and everything that went on this year with your house payment and things, we got overcharged, here's your money back, and uh, you know, it was just a basic letter. And I was like, and my wife and I, we were talking about, I was like, this is God answered our prayer. And so we went on vacation. I, I can't even say we spent all of it, to be honest. You know, it, it didn't happen. You know, I was thankful for it, and God did some wonderful things. But for me, it was another reminder. It was right about the time. I think this was the week after I preached the message, Experiencing God. How many of you remember that sermon? So this would have been the week after that. Just experiencing God in, in that way. And I understand there's a lot of ways to do that. But just through answered prayer. Because I believe God answers prayer. I I believe that God cares, even about things like that, if we give it to him. And yet, we want to make sure we're paying for it before we're praying for it. And I know lots of you would have similar stories in that way. And I'm just glad, as of right now, I didn't have to put one penny and charge it to my credit card, even for something as simple as like a family vacation or something like that. That's what God does. That's how God wants to respond. So let me give you a couple of just real functional, practical tips when it comes to reducing your debt. Number one, consolidate as much as possible to the lowest interest rate card. So if you have five credit cards, let me just encourage you, just really simply, try to consolidate as much as you can to the lowest interest rate. This is, this is like finance 101 right here. So if you have one credit card that's charging you 28% interest and another credit card that's charging you 18% interest, at least at the minimum, transfer the money that's on the 28% card and put it on the 18% card. Do you see how financially, that, how that makes sense, all right? Just really practically, all right? Now, let me, let me tell you two ways that some financial individuals will tell you to go about this. One, there is those who believe you should pay off once you have consolidated as much as you can. There are some who would say you need to pay off the highest interest rate first. And that is what I call makes economic sense. It does make economic sense. If you're paying a lot of interest on this one card, you need to pay that card off first. But let me propose to you another idea, and that is what I'm going to call emotional sense. So, yes, what I said there is it makes economical sense, and this is just... This is just advice, so you, if you disagree with me, I'm totally okay with that on this one. I'm just giving you some thoughts here. The other way to go about it is to pay off the smallest credit cards first. And this is why, I, here's why, let me say why I would encourage this, because I believe this makes emotional sense. Here you've got this card, it's got a 22% interest rate, you're trying to pay it off, but it just is not happening. And, and it, yes, it makes economic sense on, on paper to pay that one off first, but if you have a small card that says, says $350 on it and you just haven't been able to get it paid off, you pay that one off first and get that one, cut that credit card off, throw it away, it all of a sudden, feel, man, it feels good. I, I, I conquered something, I, I beat this thing, I can do this. And so it makes more emotional sense to start from the lowest ones, pay those ones off, the ones that you have the smallest balance balance on, pay those off one by one, and you'll feel this momentum come with each of those cards that you pay off. Uh, I got this from a uh, financial gentleman by the name of Dave Ramsey. Maybe you've seen his books in the bookstore, uh, Total Money Makeover, some other good books that he has. He refers to this as the debt snowball, all right? And so reduce your debt. If you want to write down a little phrase, write this down. It's called the debt domino. And let me, I think this is what traps a lot of Christians into debt. Put that little word down, debt domino, because I know there are people in here right now, and, and, and you, you totally agree. You're like, I don't, I don't want to be in debt. That's not my heart to be in debt. I don't desire to be in debt. But you don't understand. Like, the tires on my car went out. I had zero money. I had to get wheels. I mean, I had to go to work. I, had to, I, I didn't have a choice. I had to use those credit cards to put tires on my car or... 
you know, the water heater at our house went out. Like, literally, we, we had to put in a water heater. It's not like we're being frivolous. It's not like we're being, you know, we just, we had to have a water heater. We didn't have the money, so we just, and so you're, you're sitting here, and I, I know where most of us here are. We don't, it's not like we're, you know, uh, necessarily, you know, doing something, and ah, I'm just putting all this on credit. I understand how credit normally works. It's, it's the tires, there's a health situation, and that's where the credit card goes. Now, let me just give you one, let me, let me, let me kind of change the paradigm here for just a moment. Um, oftentimes, some of the reasons why this will happen is because we forget that that type of stuff is always going to happen. Now, this is really important. In the next 12 months, you are going to have an emergency. You're either going to have a health emergency, you're going to have an automobile emergency, you're going to have a house emergency. Can I just say this? Every one of you, you live in a fallen and a broken world. This stuff is going to happen to you. You are going to have unexpected financial bills that come to you. Now, here's what happens. All of a sudden, one month, we get to the end of the month, man, we, we've been able to be generous, we've been able to pay our bills, we've been able to do everything, we've got some, we got some left over. And I've counseled with people like this, and, and they're saying, oh, I've got, I've got some left over. I'm going to go buy such and such. After all, it's left over. I've got it. And so they, they buy some hobby-like thing, which is nothing intrinsically wrong with that. So instead of using that money, recognizing, oh, there wasn't a financial emergency this month, but life and wisdom will tell me there will be one next month, rather than taking that money and putting it into an emergency fund, because emergencies not might happen or could happen. We live in a broken, sinful world. It's going to happen. Your, your tire is going to go flat. You will have some type of medical emergency you weren't planning on. Something in your house will break. It's part of living in a broken, sinful world. And wise believers, wise Christians will understand it's not might, it might, and it's not could. It will happen at one point. And I am, rather than taking this money and just spending it on myself because I have a little extra, I'm going to be wise enough to know that this thing is going to happen in the future. Something's going to happen. And I'm going to prepare for it. The Bible says in Proverbs, the foolish, the, uh, the, the foolish man, uh, the, the wise man perceives the evil and hides himself. The foolish man passes on and he gets punished for it. And I know you guys are wise. I know you're smart. And so part of being wise and part of being smart is recognizing I'm going to take some money and recognize things are going to come up with my kids. They're going to, they're going to get hurt. They're going to need something, something I wasn't planning on expecting. And so rather than every time we have a little extra margin, we spend it. Because then what happens is when a real emergency comes along, the only hope we have is our credit card. We weren't being, here's the word, wise. And I want to encourage you kind of in this way to understand the debt domino. I know you're not putting, I know you're not being weird and putting stupid stuff on your credit cards. I realize you're putting life stuff on your credit cards. But if you understood that when every, every once in a while, when you have a couple extra dollars, recognizing, yeah, I guess I could spend this on a, I could spend this on a hunting rifle, or I could spend this on a bowling ball, or I could spend this on some golf, or I could spend this on this, recognizing, no, emergency is going to happen, and I'm going to create margin in my life, not because, not because it might happen, it's going to happen, and so I'm going to sacrifice what I want now for a need that will happen later, not might, not could, it will happen. All right, and so this is a way to kind of navigate the debt snowball. Okay, number two, here's what, here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 21, verse 17. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man, Luke 14. Which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Which of you, intending to build a tower, here, the wisdom here is, hey, when you, when you, when you build a tower, who, who just builds a tower and doesn't think about how much it's going to cost? Why? When you build a tower, Luke 14, 28, you sit down first, you count the cost, and see if you're going to have enough money to actually purchase it, which leads us to our second thought here this morning from the book of Proverbs. Regulate your spending. Regulate your spending. Now, I'm going to step on some toes for a moment here. Many Christians have begun to get the idea that successful Christian living is the same as living the American dream. Thank God for the American dream. But the American dream, if we're not careful, will foster and cultivate materialism and greed and discontentment and a desire for more and bigger and greater. And man, it was like, I mean, I mean, 
10 years ago, we were all perfectly fine with no cell phones. And then the cell phone, we have to have a cell phone. And then all of a sudden, no, I can't have a, I can't have a cell phone that flips open and flips closed. I can't, I can't, I got to have one that's, you know, this. And now I have to have a cell phone. And, and listen, I understand. I'm not, I'm not preaching against cell phones. I'm trying to help you get a perspective of life. How as we grow richer and richer, all of a sudden things that used to just be luxuries, now they become necessities to us. I couldn't live without that. Yeah, you can. Now, maybe phone was a bad example, but there would be plenty of others that you could pick for your life that would be a better example. What I'm saying is, man, praise God when he blesses, and when he gives you the money to afford it, thank God. God makes rich, and we're supposed to enjoy it when he allows us to abound with blessing, the Bible says. This is a good thing. These are not bad things. But as Christians, we have to be discerning, and we have to be wise when it comes to how we're going to spend and what we're going to do. Why? We've got to ask ourselves, am I going to have enough money to actually pay for this, plus the emergency that's going to come up in three months that I don't have anything, any clue about? If you have an older house, you're going to have to maybe plan for a few more emergencies. If your health is getting to a place, you're going to have to maybe plan for a little bit more. If your car, whatever, you're going to have to plan and margin and uh, get these things into place. So let me encourage you, number one, when it comes to spending, you say, where, where should I spend my money? Let me, let's just start with paying bills. Let's talk about that for a moment. Pastor, I didn't come to church to hear about how to pay my bills, you know? Let me give you just a couple of perspectives on this. If you promised, if you signed a piece of paper to pay a bill, don't pretend like that money belongs to you. It doesn't. You signed it away. If you, if you signed a piece of paper, it's not your money anymore. You say, well, it's in my bank account. It's not yours. You, you signed a piece of paper. You said this money no longer belongs to me. It's not yours anymore. So don't, don't, don't get, well, it's in my bank account. No. It, it, might be on your ba- it might be in your bank account on July 1st, but by July 3rd, you know, Wells Fargo is coming after it. Chase is coming after it. And you already told them it's theirs. All right? So when it comes to paying our bills, we need a right perspective. This isn't your money. You made a commitment. You vowed a vow. If you don't want to pay it, then don't, don't sign on the piece of paper. Um, can I say this? Stop living like what you have in the bank is how much you've got. I think a lot of just naive people when it comes to finances, they look, oh, look how much money I have in the bank. They don't realize that over the next four days, their mortgage is going to come out, you know, and then their car payment's going to come out, and then their pg and es going to come out. Like, oh, what happened? I thought I had that much money. You didn't have that much money. <laughs> you, you, it, was not, it, was, it wasn't yours. It was there for a minute, but it's not yours. It was just kind of moving through your account. And so we want to be wise, not to, just because you, oh, you know, you get the little receipt from, you know, wherever, credit union. Oh, look how much money I have. You don't. If it's two days, all your bills are going to come out, then you've got you to recognize, I've got to live with what's going to be left. So a couple practical ideas, just some tips on regulating your spending. Here's some things that I have found to be helpful in my own life and may or may not find it to be helpful for you, just some kind of principles, some things. I think one of the best keys to fighting and regulating your spending and diminishing and reducing your debt, probably the best thing you can do, is simply be aware. If you want to write that word down, just aware. Awareness. Honestly, there, there are probably a lot of folks, maybe some younger people in here, you just got married, you're kind of new to life and things. You, you literally don't even really know. You don't have a time every week where you sit down and you balance your checkbook or you get on mint.com or however it is that you do it. And just not because you're trying to be greedy and hoard, just so you're aware of where you're at. Just so you kind of like, like if you're going to build a tower, sit down, figure out where you're at and see if you have sufficient to pay it. Just being wise, just being aware. But we get so busy and this and that, we don't, we don't even really know where we're at. We're not, even, we're not even aware of some of these things. Probably the best thing you can do is just figure out a, a way in your life on a regular basis. You just are aware of your spending. You're aware of the bills you have. You just become aware of it. And this will, be, this will be help you vastly. Probably the number one thing you can do if you're struggling with overspending, if you're struggling with debt, is just be aware of it. Now, number two, creating a budget. You say, I hate budgets. I hate them too. <laughs> Tell Every time I go to a budget, it tells me, you know, what I don't have, you know. I feel like I can spend so much more money when I don't have a budget. <laughs> I have a budget, and all of a sudden I realize, wow, man, I don't have as much money as I think I do. Because you, you, you don't. <laughs> That's why. A budget. And how you budget is going to be different. There are so many online tools that you can use now, and I, I'm not going to get into that, you know. And you don't have to get crazy with it, but just 
Budgeting is basically spending your money before it hits the bank account. That's all budgeting is. If you want to just put it simply, it's, it's intentionally spending your money before it hits your bank account. And that's a budget. Every, you know, on the last day of the month, sit down, figure out how much is going to be coming in from work, and spend it in advance on paper. That's all a budget is. So if you don't like budgeting, then don't budget. Just spend it the day before you get it. Figure out on paper, I'm going to give this much here, and I'm give this much here, and I'm give this much here, and just spend all your money before it hits your account, all right? That's, that's, let's look at that as a simpler way to budget there, all right? And, uh, you know, and it's, it's interesting. A lot of us understand we've got to pay for our utilities. We've got to pay for our mortgage. We've got to pay for rent. We've got to pay for cars. And then all of a sudden, the things we forget are like, you know, <laughs> haircuts, you know, Walmart, uh, you know, some of the things that these small little things that we don't even really account for. And, and so just let me encourage you to live within your means. Number four here, and this might really help. If you are really struggling with debt right now, this is, this is, this is just very practical. If you're struggling with overspending, can I encourage you to consider using an all cash system for a while? Uh, Jenny and I did this for years and years and years. Let me tell you why. It doesn't emotionally hurt to slide a piece of plastic. But when you pull out a wad of cash and you start handing it, there's just something, it's this, it's this, the aesthetics of it, you feel it in your hand, you visually see it, you say goodbye to Benjamin. Benjamin? I mean Abe. Yeah, Abe. See you later, Abe. It's a, it, it, I'm just going to be, I think all of us would agree, it feels different. You feel it more. And for some of you, you need to start feeling it again. You, you're, you slide that, slide that. You, you think you're aware of how much money you're spending, and you have no idea. You really don't. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be harsh. But if you're in a lot of debt, if a lot of overspending, then you just need to reacclimate yourself to the emotional kind of weight of spending money again. And cash is a great way to do this. And it builds in some uh, accountability. So just every month, you know, you know, pay your main bills. And then when it comes to grocery money, and when it comes to Walmart money, and when it comes to gas, the things that you got, just do it all in cash. And I'm telling you what, within three or four months, you'll start to rewire how your brain kind of interacts with finances. It won't be quite so easy. You know, to all of a sudden, when you see that pile diminishing and you're halfway through the month and all of a sudden you've just got this much left, it's going to be like a psychological trigger reminding you, wait a second, I, I've got, what, what am I going to do here? Maybe I don't need to spend $35 at the movies tonight. I'm not, you say, What's, you, what, what, what does that mean? I'm not, saying, I'm not trying to say, I'm just saying, <laughs> when Abraham's leaving, <laughs> Abe, honest Abe, Lincoln's gone and, you know, you got the card and you just don't notice it. And these are just practical ways to kind of think about it. You might want to make it cash. It makes you aware. It's emotionally challenging to spend cash. You can see your money drifting away. If you're really struggling, this might be the number one just practical tool that you could use to start rewiring kind of how you think about finances and how you think about money is the cash system. Uh, number, uh, number five here, uh, it might just be that once you start spending your money in advance, you might have to cut your spending. I counseled with somebody one time and there was, we were going through, and uh, it was really struggling. Made plenty of money. Made much, much more money than I made, you know, and much, much more money than a lot of people I knew. And we're going through, and yet they just weren't able to make it work, so they came for some counsel. And, and the first thing I said is, you know what? Uh, I don't know that, I don't know necessarily if we need, you know, $175 cable bill each month. I don't know if that would fall into the needs category. Maybe for some of you, you've got the margin for it, and it works for you. But if you're struggling, this, this might be an area. Look for areas where you can cut. And maybe, 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 you, maybe you need the iPhone 6 Plus, and, and maybe you don't. <laughs> maybe you need, you know, all that data, and maybe you don't. And I, we're not here to judge one another. We're all at different places. That's not the heart of this. The heart is to say, where, where can we, if we're struggling, if we're wrestling through this, what are some ways we can do these things? Uh, I'm going to encourage you. A lot of times, you know, you can call up, uh, say, your internet provider. I, almost any time I call and ask them to lower it, they'll lower it. You know, if it's been two years and I started on a deal and all of a sudden a year went by and it bumped up, usually I'll call them up. I'll say, hey, I don't think I'm going to use you anymore. Oh, okay, what about if we give you the deal back? Sure, I'll take it. <laughs> I'm just telling you practically, if, if you just look, start being, start being a, uh, how, how can we work through these things, you know? Uh, I read a book 
oh, this has been a couple years back, and it talked about the latte factor. How many of you are familiar with the latte factor? Some of you have heard this before, the latte factor. Uh, the author was saying basically in everybody's life, they have something that's called the latte factor. And they said for a lot of people, the latte factor is a latte. <laughs> it's something they don't actually recognize they're spending money on. You know, it's, it's basically $5 a day, $4 a day. They don't think it's a big deal. And they don't even realize, like, literally, over the course of a month, they've spent $150. That is like a bill at that point. That's a monthly bill. That's not just a coffee. That's a bill. <laughs> you, you have your coffee bill. Now, you say, oh, are you saying I shouldn't go to Starbucks? No, that's not my point at all. I'm, I'm trying to help you. If, if, you're, if you're wrestling with finances, if you're having some financial difficulties, if you're struggling with debt, this is one of the places that go. The author proposed that most people have a latte factor in their life. It is something they do not, they do not know they are spending money on because it's such a little amount, but they do it so often that all of a sudden, by the end of the month, it is a bill that is just as large as any one of their bills, you know, in their budget. It's a line item as big as anything. And, and, and I'm not going to go into details of what that could be for you, but I want you to ask yourself, what might my latte factor be? For me, what is that thing I just spend a couple bucks on every day, a few bucks, you know, maybe it's just, ah, it's just 25 bucks a week, it's not a big deal, maybe it's just bowling or golf, and, and, and I'm not against those things, but at the end of the month, and you're sitting there, and you're like, wow, I spent $225 on this hobby, that's like a bill, that's not, the, you know, and if you can afford it, praise God for it, and if you can't, then maybe God doesn't desire it for you at this moment in time. <gasps> I don't know if I like to hear that. I'm just trying to help you. There's a lot of freedom in not being a servant to the lender. There's a lot you can do for the Lord. There's a lot you can do for your family. There's a lot you can do for your marriage when this is not necessarily the case, all right? I want to encourage you, tips for purchasing. And I, I, there's a lot of people you could talk to. There's a lot of blogs you could go to. There's a lot of things you can do. I know this is very practical today. I'm just trying to help some of us as we're just talking about stewarding life, stewarding finances, going to Proverbs, being real basic, baseline, want to help our church family just become financially responsible because Christians are wise and Christians are responsible and this is good advice that we can try to help with. When it comes to even spending, I mean, there are so many creative ways to spend money nowadays. I mean, it's crazy. You, you can... There's certain times of the year where things go on sale. Literally Google. You say, I, I think I kind of need a TV. Well, then jump online and look at Google and ask yourself, when's the best time to buy a TV? And you'll find there are times where TVs are more expensive and there are times where TVs are cheaper, all right? And I'm just using this as an example. Not only can you do that, but you can, on top of it being on sale, usually you can find a coupon. Uh, I have an app and, uh, on, my, on my cell phone, and uh, I literally follow my wife. This is probably very annoying to her. But I'll follow her around, and I got, I got an app, and whatever store we're in, I've got an app, and it'll pull up every coupon for that particular store. So it's about the time she's about to pay for it. I'll, you know, hand her my phone. I'll be like, hey, here's a little coupon, you know. And uh, we, think, I, we did, I was, Friday we did this. I was okay, oh, it was like going to be like a $25. I pulled it up on my phone. We got a $10, you know, uh, deal right there. And she would do the same thing as well, and she'll go through it. It's just a lot of very easy, very creative ways to spend less. Not only can you use, man, find it when it's cheap. Find it, find a coupon. It's right there on your phone. Here's... You know, how many of you realize you can buy gift cards for less than gift cards cost? All right? So buy the gift card for less than it costs. Use the gift card with the coupon. While it's on sale, whammo! You just bought something for half the price of everybody else who's walking out with that same thing. What I'm saying is this. It hit me a long time ago. I, I realized very early on that being in ministry wasn't probably going to have buku amounts of bucks and tons and tons of money. But then I had this idea. If I, could, if I could buy everything I buy for one-third of the price that everybody else pays for it, I could live like somebody who makes three times what I make. <laughs> that, was kind of, that was kind of that epiphany. <laughs> Made sense to me. Make sense to you? That's the point, you know? It's just being wise. It's being smart. It's just saying, okay, maybe I'm not going to have what this person has or not. But if, hey, if, if God he gives us wisdom... He gives us discernment. We can be as wise as serpents, harmless as doves. How, how, do we, how do we move through this, all right? Now, uh, let me give you this quote here. I don't know if they'll have it on the screen. This is big. Unless you learn to control your spending, making more money won't help. You say, I'm just going to get a promotion. I'm going to get a better job. It won't help. You'll just end up with bigger payments. This is the truth. 
unless you learn to control your spending, making more money is not going to help. I know some of you were right now, I'm going to get a promotion next year, I'm going to get a better job, and then the year after that, and you're, you're anchoring all your financial hope to that promotion, to getting the raise, to making more money. And I'm just going to say this, unless you start with the heart, unless you start with, okay, how am I going to, how can I be wise with spending? When you make more, you're just going to end up with bigger payments. And, and that's, what, that's what the statistics tell us. If you look at the financial statistics of America, you'll find that when people make a raise, they usually tend to spend that raise plus about 1% more after they get a raise. Very quickly, within three to six months, they have literally already signed on the dotted line in payments for whatever it is, the car, the big, nicer car, bigger house, and better toys, signed on the dotted line, not only their promotion, but plus some. So it's, it's deeper than just making more money. And hey, if you can make more money, do it. That's awesome. I'm all for it. I'm not, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying this is what happened. This is what America tells us tends to happen when people make more money. They end up with bigger payments. All right? And so we just want to be wise. Why? Because the Bible says to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, and he gives us wisdom principles so we as believers don't have to live in the misery and the constraint and the bondage and the slavery of just financial, just, uh, you know, overwhelmingness-ish. Whatever. All right, let's keep moving. Number three. Proverbs 21, verse 20. Let me encourage you to replenish your savings to replenish your savings, all right? So we've talked about reduce your debt, regulate your spending. Number three, replenish your savings. Proverbs 21, verse 20, there's desirable treasure in the oil and the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. The Bible's saying here, wise people tend to save. And there's a lot of biblical verses that would teach about it. There's treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just, I want you to think for a moment. When you have, I don't know, I'll pick an arbitrary number, $80 in your pocket, $80 in cash, how long can that last for you? And we're all different on this one. Some of you, you guys can make it last for two months. Others of you, like, I think two days. <laughs> That's pretty, sounds pretty good. This is not to judge. I'm just saying, think about it. I want you to ask yourself the question. Is there something, do, man, can, do you have the discipline? Has God given you the grace just to be content with what you have? Are you, are you a content person? Are you content? Because this really isn't about, uh, this whole sermon, honestly, money management, if you really, it's not really about finances at all. You know what all this is about? It's about contentment with God and his will. You know why we get in debt eight times out of ten? I know there are exceptions. I'm not going to broad brush every one of you. Eight times out of ten, when I counsel with people who are in debt, it's because they're discontent with God's will. Discontentment. That, that's where it comes from. It, it's amazing to see, even as Americans, as we get wealthier and wealthier, we're f- far, far, far more wealthy than we were 50 years ago as, as Americans. We're, we're, we're more wealthy than we were back in the late 40s. But our debt is so much more than it was then. Why? Because we as Americans and even in the church, we're discontent with God's will. We want more. We want the American dream. We feel like, man, we deserve it. Just be thankful. God provides it. Praise God for it. God's good. But if he doesn't, be okay with that. It's all right. You don't have to have the best of everything to enjoy life. You have God. He is enjoyable. Christ is fulfilling. Jesus is satisfying. But if you don't find your fulfillment and your satisfaction and your contentment in Jesus, you're going to start looking to a million things smaller than Jesus to try to fill that sense of satisfaction and that sense of fulfillment and that sense of, you know, contentment. And can I say this? everything else will fall short at some point. It'll give you a buzz for a little bit. Regardless of that new thing you get, that new thing you buy, it'll, it'll make you feel, ah, like, like I'm alive for, for whatever it does, and then it won't. It's, it, this is not a finance issue as much as it is a contentment issue. Two times out of ten, it might be a finance issue. Eight times out of ten, it's a hard issue. So to simply be content. I want to encourage you to allow God to restructure your priorities. Give God the right to restructure your priorities, what's important to you. 
give God, yield, and let him restructure your values. See, one of the reasons we spend so much is our values are off. We value things that maybe God doesn't want us to value at this season in our lives. We think things are important that are just not that as important to God. And so we trump our will over God's will. We become discontent with what he's allowed at this present moment. And not to say God won't open some doors in the future and he'll make it work within his plan. But when we rush ahead, we tend to get into trouble. Can I encourage you to, to yield and allow God to restructure your expenses? Let him restructure it. Restructure it. Get yourself to where you're, you're organized in a way that would fit into God's wisdom. This was Warren Buffett. I read this in a book, and I, I, you know me. I like to read, and so I'll read a lot, mostly theological books and spiritual Christian books. But every once in a while, I'll read, I'll read finance books, and I'll read, you know, kind of uh, different books on different things. And I was reading a book from uh, Warren Buffett, who most of you would know him. I, I wouldn't advocate everything he does. He's, you know, not a Christian man by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, the Bible, even the Bible says sometimes the people of this world are wiser than the children of light. And, and I think in some areas, he's kind of wise, all right? Here's what he had to say uh, when it came here to saving, all right? He said this, uh, do not save what is left after spending. And you follow along. Okay, I'm done spending and then I'm going to save. He says, actually, you should do the opposite. Rather, spend what is left after saving. See the difference? First, I'm going to spend. I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to save. He says, no, save first, and then spend what's left. Keep first things first. Get the big rocks in. Um, I'm thankful my wife and I have been able to do this for several years. And and honestly, there were seasons early on in our ministry where it was literally like we saved a dollar a month. That was it. Like, by God's grace, we're going to save one dollar this month. He said, that's kind of retarded. <laughs> What's one dollar going to do? Here's, here's one thing it did. It kept us from spending more than we had. That was probably the best thing it did. You know? And early on, we're just going we're we're gonna, to we're gonna save. And then as God allowed us to, to save more. Um, I'll share this story real quick. We'll kind of move on. But um, we had about two or three years. I can't remember exactly what year it was. A couple years into marriage. And we're still trying to figure all this stuff out. I mean, the very beginning, and I was, I was so excited, you know. I, and so I remember early on, we went and we bought a car. There's nothing wrong with kind of getting a car and buying some things. And really, really quickly, like right after we got married, like I, I turned around, all of a sudden we were like $16,000 in debt or something. I mean, it was like, whoa, what in the world happened? Like, we, how, did, how did this take place? You know, here a couple, I mean, I don't, maybe it had been a year at that point, but I was like, what? This is crazy. And so we got some books, and I thought, we got to deal with this. I got to, I got to get, we got to manage this. And, you know, when you're a kid and you're still trying to figure everything out, and, you know, and a lot of it was a car and a little bit of credit card and, and stuff like that. And I just wasn't personally comfortable with it uh, for myself. And so we started reading through these books, and we, we did a lot of what some of these, the Bible talks about, as well as what some people would encourage us to do. And we just started, I mean, we had so little, but we were putting everything we could and paying off these debts and uh, just getting crazy about it. I mean, just almost insane. I mean, it was like, lit- I feel bad because we probably should have eaten during that season, but literally, like, we didn't even eat food. It was just, it was like, no, we gotta, we're going to get out of this. We were just determined, and I, I, gave, I literally, I gave her, like, a $20 a week grocery budget. And I was like, that's all you get. You get 20 bucks this week. And for about a year and a half, you know, we had about $20 a week for groceries, and we were just like, we are, we're, we're to Nate. We're just going to, we're going to be done with this. We're, there's no more. And uh, that was, I mean, we're talking over a decade now. By God's grace, man, God's been so good. We, uh, since that time, not have to be in any debt. And I'm just telling, and the reason I say this is to simply say, there is, there's a freedom when you can get beyond this and transcend some of this. And I don't say this to guilt trip you. I don't say this to make you feel bad. I say this because I believe God wants his best for you. And part of that just means having some wisdom. And sometimes that means not having everything your friends have, and not having something that God allows somebody else to have, and being content with where God's allowed you to be, and just being okay with that. 
Dave Rams in his book, Total Money Makeover, talks about first thing is trying to save a $1,000 emergency fund. We talked earlier, everybody has emergencies. You've got to get, get $1,000, put it in an account that you don't have a debit card to, that you don't really, it's not easy to get the money from. Have it there. Why? So when emergency happens, you don't have to go. It's the first thing you need to save for, just that emergency account. And $1,000 for most people tends to be to take care of the majority of emergencies that will just happen, you know, through life. And then if you have to use some of it, replenish that and then go back to, you know, going through. And that's not to say you don't keep saving, but you always want that there. And uh, the way we set it up early on is we had it automatically taken from our checking account every month uh, to put money into that savings account. So we didn't even have to consciously think about it. It was just automatically, automatically happening. Get that set up so when life happens, you're somewhat ready for it. It's called being wise. Prudent man foresees the evil. The wise man foresees the evil. The simple, the, ah, pass on, they get punished for it, all right? They've just not been wise. And so it's just a practical thing that we can do um, and kind of going through that. Uh, one of the interesting books I read several years ago was one called The Millionaire Next Door. How many of you are familiar with this book? Maybe some of you have seen it. The Millionaire Next Door. Very fascinating. It was just a sociological overview of millionaires in America. And they found that the majority of millionaires that are currently in America, they uh, are what they would call self-made uh, in the sense that it, they did not necessarily inherit the money. And, and there were some that inherited it from parents and, you know, kind of all, the, all that kind of stuff. But many of them self-made. Here's what was interesting. Of the average, when this book was written, the average a millionaire in America, and this was America, the average millionaire in America, their household income was $70,000. I thought that was kind of interesting. Average millionaire in America, average income between the two spouses, $70,000. And basically the whole premise of the book was there's this illusion that in order, in order to be wealthy, in order to have riches, you know, you've got to make exorbitant amounts of money. I understand for a lot of us that's a lot of, it is a lot of money. But there are, some, there are some folks in here, and between you and your spouse together, uh, that would, you know, you might make that. And, and maybe you won't be a millionaire, but I, I guess the point of it is just to simply say, I think sometimes as Americans, we think we need a whole lot more money than we do in order to balance all this stuff out right. And they, the book went on to say that the, you know, we get this idea that the average millionaire in America, you know, they wear Rolex, Rolex watches and drive Ferraris. And it went through and talked about some of the, the things that the average self-made millionaires do. And the, I mean, they buy their suits from JCPenney's and they drive Ford trucks, you know, that are 10 years old. And they went through and really looked at the majority of millionaires self-made in America. And it, it's not the glamorous Hollywood celebrity lifestyle that you so think. Most of it are just people who are very disciplined who saved moderate amounts of money for a whole long time. And that's basically how the majority of people became millionaires in America. And you say, why do you share that? I just share that to simply say, let's not ca get caught up in the illusion. Well, I would save if I just had more money. Now, you can save if, for, for most of us, and I realize there might be exceptions. I don't want to say this to everybody. But most of us, if we just simply say, God, give me, the, give me some contentment. Let me yield to your plan. Let me be thankful for what you've already given me. And Lord, let, just, just help me to be wise. Help me to be wise with this. Number four. Talk about reducing our debt. Regulating spending. Replenishing savings. Lastly, this is Proverbs chapter number three, verse nine says this. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits. Notice that phrase. The first fruits of all thine increase. Honor God with your resources. Honor God with your substance. Honor God with your finances. And notice this, the first fruits, not, the, not what's left over, not the end, with the first fruits of all thine increase. So if God increases that week, if God blesses that week, if you got a paycheck that week, that first fruits, honor the Lord with the increase. Notice this, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Now understand, this is not a theological book in Proverbs. This is just a wisdom book. I'm amazed how many times I will read secular authors and how many times secular authors, unsaved, unbelieving, atheistic authors will talk about one of the keys to growing and understanding wealth and growing in your ability to make money is, is a mindset where you're giving it away. We're not even talking about Christians. And Solomon is not talking about it through a theological lens. He is talking about it through a pragmatic wisdom lens. Solomon recognized something that happens to the psychology of an individual who knows how to give the first parts of their money away. People who have built up habits of giving money away, they learn how to live within their means. 
People are used to giving money away, find joy in uh, benevolence. And there's a peace and joy, why? Of focusing on others. They're not so self-centered. They understand just kind of how to navigate just life. They learn to be content with what they have. They learn the value in a deeper psychological way than people just kind of more frivolous with, with you know, credit cards and things like that. So Solomon is not talking from a theological lens. He is talking from a pragmatic wisdom lens. He basically says when you honor God with it, when you're willing to be radically generous with it, there's something that happens in your life that causes you to focus on what is left in a way that you normally wouldn't with a materialistic mindset. And he says here, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and presses shall burst out with not new wine. This is not, this is not a dogmatic, well, I'm going to give something to God, I'm going to give something to poor, and God better make me rich. No, this is just general wisdom. People who are generally generous tend to have what they need. That's, that's, what, that's what he's saying here. And you're a wise individual for understanding, oh, that take the first fruits and honor it and dedicate it there to the Lord. Winston Churchill said it this way, we make a living by what we get, but we truly make a life by what we give. And there's just something that God does to our heart when we learn to be radically generous with what God has blessed us with. Radical generosity will free you from greed and materialism like nothing else I know of. If you struggle with always having in your heart, you have to buy something new. Like, I gotta have, and I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with the TV or something wrong with a new car. I, I, that's not my heart. My heart is if, if in your heart, and I'm just you and God, if there's something in your heart and you're always like wanting something new, you're always wanting something next, you're always wanting something more, and there's just something in you and you just can't seem to, you just can't seem to be content with what God's allowed you to, then you need this right now. You need to be free from the materialistic discontentment that's grappling your heart because it's, it's, it's putting you, it's keeping you in a position where maybe you won't be able to provide for children's college educations or you're not going to be able to do some stuff in the future and not be able, man, just being wise. Why? Because we're not allowing the Lord to restructure values in our heart. I'll end with this. I think they have this on the screen here. When we give... You guys got this up here, or maybe not? Uh, when we, uh, maybe not, okay. Uh, when we give in light of God's standards of generosity, when we allow this book to be the standard by which our generosity uh, happens, we are no longer at the mercy of our current global economy. See, a lot of us here, you're like, I can't give because the economy and my, my I don't make enough money and I, my paycheck's not big enough. I, I can't be generous. I don't have it to give. Can I say this? When you allow God's standard of generosity to drive your, your economic situation, can I say, here's literally what happens. You step into a new economy. When you say, I'm going to allow God's values of generosity to drive my life, you get out of the current economy that we live in, the, out of the economy that your work and your career provide, and you step into a new economy. That new economy is called God's economy of promise. And when you allow what God's best is for your life, you step into God's economy. And I'm just here to say this. God provides for those in his economy who live by the standards of his economy. He has promises that in wisdom he'll give to those who step into his economy. So I understand you're in your current economic state. I can't be generous, can't save, I can't get out of debt. I just can't. And you, you lose faith. You stop believing that God can do what he's saying he can do. Have a little faith. Believe that God can do this. Step out and obey in response to that. Get out of the current economy. Step into God's economy and say, God, I'm going to live this thing financially your way. Step into his economy here, reducing debt and elevating savings and making sure we're being generous. We step into his economy and it's a whole different economy. It's an economy of promise. It's an economy of hope. It's an economy of provision that doesn't make sense to the outside economy. I'm here to tell you my economic story makes zero sense to anybody because it's basically built on stories like I told you a moment ago. My economic financial story, it sounds a whole lot more like the stories I shared a moment ago than the story of, oh man, I'm making tons of money and it's just been this and this and that. There is an economy that just say, hey, when you step into God's economy, miracles happen. And that's what I want for you. So the next time, man, it used to be that when you had a blessing, oh, thank, you know, thank the Lord for American Express, that's cool. But when God does it, you have an experience. 
And that's what I want for you. I want you to experience God even in your finances. That, that experiencing God isn't something regulated to your devotional quiet time or to Sunday mornings at 1030, but that your experiencing God even extends into your financial portfolio and you begin to experience God in every realm of your life. And that's our hope. That's our heart. So let me, as the takeaway, let me just encourage you with this. Can I encourage you to kind of take an 80-10-10 rule? Say 80-10-10, just real basic. Let me encourage you to pray and ask God to give you that 80-10-10. You say, what's that? Honor the Lord with the first 10%. Honor him. 10% for savings. And try to live on the rest. I'm telling you what, there's a lot of wisdom in it. I'm not saying you have to do that to go to heaven or be a Christian. I'm not... It's not a command I'm giving you as the pastor, the ambassador, I'm just talking wisdom. That, that wisdom has served me extremely well, and people I know has ex- served them extremely well. Honor the Lord first fruits, save second, and figure out by God's grace how to pray, how to receive from the Lord miraculously and supernaturally to live on the rest. And God will honor, God will honor it. Can I encourage us, man, to live in God's economy? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.